does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Half past 12 in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's half past 12 everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, the others you hear on this program. It's Querying Company on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Joining us now, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, who on Saturday I was um, driving around doing errands and listened to the predominant broadcast between Indiana and Louisville for the vast majority of that game. And Don Fisher, I thought to myself the following, and then I want your assessment of it from a football standpoint. Indiana's performance against Louisville reminded me of a lot of the classes that I took at Indiana. Got off to a really slow start, realized about midway through the semester I needed to kind of get my my rear in, in gear, and then finished pretty strong but not quite strong enough. But I thought it was really the tale of two halves. What was the difference in terms of what Indiana schematically did that caused the slow start against Louisville and then how they were able to kind of right the ship a little bit? I don't know that anything had to do with scheme so much as it did with momentum. And at halftime, of course, the Hoosiers went into the locker room, and I watched their trek to the to the to the room itself off the field. I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, very optimistic about what we were going to see uh, in the second half. And then the onside kick. Um, recovered by Indiana, and then Taven Jackson taking him right down the field in that first drive of the second half to score a touchdown, totally rejuvenated this football team. Um, I don't think they did a great deal different. Uh, certainly they made some changes defensively, I think, schematically a little bit. But more than anything, they just executed what they've been taught all week long prior to the Louisville game. I think they just... They came back out. They finally got a spark. Uh, the spark was something that they couldn't, uh, that Louisville couldn't extinguish, because Indiana's defense started to play just better than they did in the first half. They carry out their assignments, not make so many mistakes, and not give up big plays. And then, from an offensive standpoint, they actually had a couple of decent drives in the first half. They just couldn't capitalize on them, or something would happen in the last third down scenario, and they couldn't quite get a first down. But when you looked at the totality of the, of the second half. Indiana pretty much dominated the second half with the exception of the last four and a half minutes when they had to get a stop uh, and to get the ball back and they just couldn't quite get it done. So I look at it from that perspective more so than anything really schematically or anything like that. Don, I know Coach Allen mentioned this post game, but it's easy to forget just how young Taven Jackson is. How important is it moving forward for the program? I mean, I know recruiting classes change and transfer portals impact things, but how important is it for the program and what Coach Allen is trying to build offensively to let those mistakes happen for them to help in his overall growth, which we kind of saw in a microcosm from first half to second half? And again, I, I don't think Taven did anything wrong in the first half. I think more than anything, uh, with Taven Jackson, I think the key here is let him play, let him make mistakes. He's got the tools to be really outstanding. He does. He's just got that. He's got a little swagger to him. He's one of those guys that believes in himself. He's got great self-confidence. Um, he, he is a guy has got a great arm. 
Uh, he sees the field well. I think that's the most critical thing for any quarterback. If you don't see the field well, if you can't read defenses, and I am surprised uh, at what he's been able to do in reading the defenses thus far because that's always probably the slowest thing to pick up on and the thing that you have to study the most to learn. And yet he just seems to have a command out there and seems to know where he's supposed to be and where his receivers are at. He's going to make some bad throws every now and then. That's just part of it. That's part of the growth. And it's part of the excitement of being a first-year starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman. I mean, you're going to make a few mistakes. But uh, I think that confidence level he plays with. And I think last week, I think I mentioned this before to you guys, but on Monday of last week, uh, we interviewed him. I had a chance to interview him. The press did. And uh, the one thing they talked about was how free he feels when he's actually in a game situation. He really ex- he exalts at being on the field in uh, a football game itself. And without, I mean, practice part of it, I think that's got to probably be a more of a focus for him because I don't, I think I've heard a couple of people say that he's not the greatest practice player in the world. Uh, but I tell you what, when he gets on the football field, he plays like he's been working on it all week long and he looks confident. I just love his confidence level and the belief that he has in himself. And I think he kind of, I think he believes in his football team too. And he knows he's got a great receiving core to throw it to and he's got some talented skill weapons behind him. Don, there was a play, and I can't remember. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. I can't remember if it was in the, I think it was late first half. Where Tavion Jackson is scrambling, it was either a third and long or it might have even been fourth down. I think it was third and long. And he stepped out of bounds about two yards short of, and it looked like he might have been able to get the first down, but, he, but like he kind of lost sight of where the marker was. And, you know, you, you chalk it up to, obviously, just a young player that is still learning his way. I'm curious, and I'll use Antoine randall as an example because he's a guy that I believe, you know, you saw – playing in multiple years and starting as a young player in his development at the quarterback position and making decisions like that with his feet and his arm. How long do you think in your experience in watching college football, Don, is a realistic or fair number of games for a player to play before those little nuances are instinctive and not something they're having to think through, but they've learned their way through? I think it probably depends on the individual, uh, Jake. I, I mean, how smart of a football player are you? And let's face facts here. David Jackson's dad, Ray Jackson, played college and pro football, high school, college and pro football. And David has been living with that his entire life. And so I'm not so sure that his learning curve isn't a lot shorter uh, in the sense of learning uh, the things that, and the nuances of being a quarterback as it might be for some guys who don't have that background. I, I think that's a huge factor in David Jackson's growth as a football player and as a person. And I think I think David right now, I'm not saying that he's not going to learn those kinds of things in a short or long period of time. I just think it's it'll become instinctive pretty quickly for him because of his background more than anything else. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Don, the conversation point around IU football for the better part of the last decade has been inability to put together two complete halves of football. Coach Allen highlighted that again post game on Saturday after the loss to Louisville. When you look at that aspect of of trying to 
put together those two complete halves while also looking ahead to their next couple games on the schedule against Akron at home and then on the road against Maryland. These are two critical games where, yes, you need those complete halves of football to be put on display, but also for your bull hopes when you look at where the schedule is and the level of competition, this is a key window and a key stretch for IU. Well, it is. Uh, certainly, Akron is a game that they've got to win. Uh, it's a game you're expected to win. Akron's 1-2. and two. Kentucky beat them 35-3 to three this past weekend. They have a so- Akron's got a solid team. They're not bad. They're in the second year of a coaching change at Akron. Uh, the guy is an offensive-minded guy. He'll have a plan for Indiana. Um, and you've got, to, but you still have to win this game, and you probably have to win it in a strong fashion if you're if it's going to be considered a good win. And then on top of that, then you've got Maryland coming up for two road games, in fact, back to back, which will be very difficult. And right now, the most important thing I think for this football team is to continue developing confidence. Uh, after the first half, like I said earlier, uh, it was not pretty. Uh, what I saw going into the locker room at halftime, and yet they responded. And, of course, the onside kick had a lot to do with changing the entire momentum of the game. But getting that touchdown after they responded and got the or, or after they got the uh, onside kick, that to me told me something uh, about the ability of this football team to come back and to respond. And they did it throughout. They just didn't make the one play that they needed to make and some people want to put that on the offensive coordinator for the call, and I understand that. Uh, it certainly looked like a quarterback sneak might be the more pressure thing to do, but it didn't happen that way. But I think this team, because of all the newness of the players on this team, guys, and I think the transfer portal factor here of all the guys from the portal that are playing in key roles of this football team, and these guys, uh, based, I talked to one of them today in an interview that I did, uh, Philip Leedy, one of the uh, defensive tackles that transferred in from Texas Tech. These guys believe in themselves. They think they're pretty good, and they love the culture that Tom Allen has built at IU, which I think is something a lot of people poo-poo and, and laugh at sometimes. The LEO, love each other, syndrome. That, these kids believe in that, and he's got them believing in it. And... I just think that this ball club right now with the new faces and how they've acclimated to Bloomington and to IU and to the football program, it, it, it says good things about what could come in this season. But the only thing that's going to make a difference here, guys, is if you win. And if they don't win, then they're going to be in trouble just like they have been for years upon years. Don, do you remember the old days of the RCA Dome when you'd go as a spectator and you would leave and the, the air pressure would, like, blow you out of the, the building? You know what I mean? Like, the wind was behind you, you remember, and, like, people's hats were blowing off. You remember that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, sometimes I think to myself, maybe it's under blessing that, that this wasn't around back then because I feel like outside of Bloomington, that's what the wind would have felt like if the transfer portal was in t- it was there during the Bob Knight era of basketball. It would like the the door would have been rotating so quickly that the wind just would have been blowing you up thirty seven. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's a different era now of 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 players that transfer, and I think that someone like me. You know, I think like, man, you, you know, how much has this changed the trajectory of, of college athletics? And initially, I think in a bad way, because you want players to ride out adversity. But then you look at it, and to your point, 
I do think that for a program like at Indiana, it can actually be worked to your advantage, right? Because you're getting players that have competitive level of play in other conferences that can come in. It's just a matter of them kind of gluing together, I guess, right? I mean, is that the biggest challenge in it all? I think I think it has to be. I, I would think that that would be the biggest challenge because when you've got – well, think about Colorado. I mean, that yeah. that's the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen in college football to basically redo your entire roster. I mean, that's what Deion Sanders has done out there. I, I just that's, – that's an amazing scenario when you think about what he's accomplished with the transfer portal and what kind of success they're having early on. And without doubt – I mean, Indiana's defense last year was not very good. Of course, they had one of their key players, Cam Jones, their key linebacker that was lost for the season about halfway through uh, that really hurt this program. But at the same time, we didn't have anybody to replace him. And the transfer portal has done that this year with all – they only had two starters back on defense. And they're playing so many guys that have not played a lot of football at Indiana or if they have played at Indiana, they haven't played a ton. Uh, plus all these transfer portal players that they're utilizing, and it has really helped this defense. There's no question about that. And granted, it didn't look like that in the first half because they made a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, you can see that this is a better defense than we had a year ago, and how do you make that transition that quickly? And it was the transfer portal that's responsible. Don Fisher will be able to play a little bit of golf on Saturday because it's a night game for the Hoosiers against Akron. You can hear it on 93 WIBC 730 kick down at Memorial Stadium. Don, appreciate it. Enjoy the fabulous weather, and we'll be listening to the call against Akron. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It's Don Fisher again, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Jimmy, if you were to invite our next guest to your house to watch a Colts game, well, for that matter, if you came home from a Colts game and this person had been in your house, your house would be a complete wreck, stuff would be broken, and there would be like spray paint everywhere. Do you know why? Why is that? Because he's a vandal. I think Idaho Vandals is one of the great mascots (laughs) in all of college sports. I don't think any other school are the Vandals, right? Are they the only Vandals? Do we know? I feel like that's probably uncontested. Rick DeMoling joins us now on the hotline, the former Colt and Idaho Vandal. Am I correct in saying that that's the only Vandal in college athletics? The one and only, baby. Proud to be an Idaho Vandal. uh, Oddly enough, I'm heading back there on uh, this weekend. We have an alumni reunion, and I cannot wait to get back into the Kibbe Dome. I love that place. Do you guys have to like spray paint stuff everywhere and, and break stuff? Is that part of being it a vandal? Is absolutely a requirement <laughs> to, things. to be a college. vandal, to be an offensive lineman. I mean, everything that you you just said is what we do on a daily. <laughs> I bet. Uh, Rick DeMullen joins us. Let's begin with this. Um, your your thoughts and impressions just of the Colts' efforts against Houston. I think we know that Houston is you know, obviously this is not one of the better teams in the league, but still they did what they had to do. What was your overall takeaway from yesterday's game? It was great to see um, because they did what they should have done against a team that, yes, I think is lesser. I mean, I came away at first, I'm like, yeah, this is great. Very optimistic. Then I'm like, okay, this team had four offensive linemen that I wouldn't say off the street, but like weren't slated to be starters. They had, what, 27 new guys on the team. So I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm also, like, realist. Like, okay, this wasn't the best team. But, like, the way that they pressured the quarterback, the way that they protected our quarterback, I mean, I thought it was great. Um, it was fun to watch. And, I mean, really bummed, obviously, Richardson go down. But um, as a whole, I think there's a lot to be excited about. 
and but I was still always a lot to work on. When you look at – you mentioned the protection of the quarterback. And when you look at the offensive line – we'll get to Richardson here in a minute, Rick, but I want your thoughts on this because you would know. When Ryan Kelly goes out and you've got to go to backup center, um, on the offensive line in terms of just kind of the continuity of a line, my guess, outside observation – I did play offensive line in middle school, don't get me wrong – but it would be the center would be the position that is the most critical in terms of the cohesiveness of the line. And so I give them credit for the fact that when Ryan Kelly goes out, they still seemingly played, you know, pretty good solid offensive line play. Is the center the most difficult position to immediately plug in? Absolutely. I mean, even at the middle school level, I tell you what, don't short sell yourself. That middle school ball. <laughs> we were undefeated two years in a row. Thank you very much. I tell you what, they don't. If you don't get a ring for that, that's a. That's an issue. <laughs> There's a plaque, and they misspelled There's my name. But anyway, I digress. That hey, I mean, we we need to talk to them. Um, but yes, I would say obviously because the center is the quarterback of the offensive line. The quarterback or the, the center is going to be directing where to go in the run game, where to go in the pass game, and starts it off from there. So like, if you don't have somebody that knows what they're doing, then yeah, it, it starts really messing with things. But I, I think he did a phenomenal job. And I'm sure everybody was talking about, but like the old French fries name names were back in there together. If you notice, like didn't that blow up the internet last year? Oh, of and, course, uh, yeah, it was like French trending, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I don't know if it trended yesterday, but they were back at it again, right next to each other. Rick, how big was Zach Moss and his ability to kind of stabilize the running back room yesterday? And then, as you move forward. How many more of those do you need to see strung together before? No one's going to replace Jonathan Taylor. We know that. But it it was a massive upgrade from where the running game was a week ago. How much of that is they just took advantage of Houston schematically? And how much of that is, no, Zach Moss can play. And this is going to be a stabilizing force moving forward. I would say a good bit of both. Um, if you saw, like, the line was surging forward the vast majority of the time, right? They were they were making holes. And when there weren't holes, Moss was like, he wasn't going down easy. So that's great to see. Because when you sit there and see an offensive line totally dominate and a running back gets a bunch of yards, you're like, oh, great. But, I mean, he was taking hits behind the backfield and still chugged forward for a couple of yards. So I, I got to say it's a little bit of both. I mean, he, he was – he's hard to bring down. Um, you, you get that going and his vision and be able to cut back when he sees it and be able to hit the hole and that offensive line firing, um, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. And hopefully, I know we're going to get to Richardson in a minute, but like having that threat as well with a running game that is already in place is, is exciting to see. Well, let's get to Richardson because, Rick, let's start with this. You know, he clearly can extend and, and make plays and design plays with his legs. Um what I'm impressed by, but I want your your critical eye here, I'm impressed by Anthony Richardson, even though clearly Shane Steichen is designing plays for him to run, but I think he shows so far a pretty good maturity on the plays where he is running out of the pocket on kind of knowing when to make that decision. I think his decision-making in run versus pass for his age is pretty mature, but you tell me your vantage point on it. Yeah, I absolutely agree because most guys, one, when they're that athletic and like their whole life, they're like, I can just get out of a jam by running. That's going to be their first option. Um, the, he is, he seems to be wise beyond his years, right? And like you use the word mature, mature, I would say poise as well. It's fun to see, and I don't like he has a work ethic. So being able to get out and roll out and extend a play, like you said, and then to, instead of just bolting down the the down the sideline or whatever that he needs to do to survive, he's trying to make the best play. And the thing I love about the design plays that they had 
if you saw, it was a lot of like counter movement, right? So it was a lot of pulling. He had, he had somebody to follow. Um, and I, I love that, like the fake sweep and then roll out. I mean, I love what they were doing with him. I mean, it, he, he can be absolutely terrifying for a defense to defend. And then when he's making the right choices in regards to like either pull it down and run or like throw it, like it, that's just going to be another um, tool in his toolbox. We obviously know that when you were in Indianapolis, Rick, you know, you're blocking for Peyton Manning and you had a pretty good idea that Peyton Manning is not going to be running. And if he is, it probably means that Howard Mudd's going to have a few words with you guys, right? Because it was not by design. But I'm guessing in Detroit, maybe Joey Harrington might have used his legs a little bit. And then you had different quarterbacks when you were in Detroit in particular that you're blocking for. You know, I mean, whether it be Garcia's coming in or they're going to, you know, Kitna, whatever, different veterans. How challenging is it as an offensive lineman? So I guess a two-part question. The first being to know how to block for a running quarterback when you don't know on some plays which way they're going to go with it. So do you have to change your blocking footwork and scheme mid-play depending on which way the quarterback decides to go? And then secondly, is it tough to have to block for different quarterbacks from one game to the next? Uh, that's very good One, like Even those guys that up in Detroit, nobody was really mobile, right? And I don't know what you're talking about, Peyton. Peyton would do a fierce fake handoff and then roll around the end for a 30, 40 yarder every once in a while. He did have one against Oakland that then went on his career highlights forever, yes. Um, but in regards to being able to change, like, I would say it's a blessing and a curse if you have a guy that's running like Richardson because one is like, okay, he just saved my butt because I missed my block and he made something happen. And then the other one is like, oh my gosh, I don't know where he's going to be. So like in my mind would be like, I just got to stick on my guy for as long as I can. I can't really push him outside because if he's going outside, he's probably chasing my quarterback because most times a pocket quarterback, you're like, okay, if I have a defender that goes way outside, I can just ride him outside and push him. But you got to kind of stick to him like glue, I would think, with Richardson. But I got to think it'd be a complete benefit for an offensive lineman to be able to have a quarterback extend the play and run, even if you don't know where he is. Is it tough in the middle of a game when the quarterback changes and now all of a sudden you've got somebody that runs? I mean, the offense is probably going to be the same, but just in terms of the style of the nuance of a quarterback, how difficult is it from one guy to the next? I don't think it's much. I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience that with, with the Colts because Peyton never <laughs> missed right. a snap. Um, but I don't think it changes for you because you want to one and want to run the ball. So that's not going to change anything you do. And in regards to like pass protection, it, I mean, you never want to like, oh, I have a running quarterback so I can, you know, not be as good. So I, I don't think it really changes much. I mean, with Howard Mudd, we would do what's called a jump set every single time. So nothing, nothing ever changed for us, whoever was in the backfield. Um, but I don't think even the guys that are in there now going from a mobile quarterback to a non-mobile quarterback, anything is going to change. Their job is to protect their guy, and that's what they're going to do no matter what. Rick, what's been your immediate reaction the last 12 to 18 hours post-injury for Anthony Richardson? Because there's been a couple of mentions of Andrew Luck's name and maybe preemptive fear from fans that, well, look what happened with Luck's career and you got to be careful with Anthony Richardson and the injuries. When I look at it, I see one that was decision-making on his part where can't lower the shoulder in that situation, be a little bit more careful. And the other one was just a freak hit that, you know, not saying concussions aren't repeatable, but that's not something you can necessarily prevent from happening. 
where's your reaction line between maybe the overreaction of we need to bundle this guy in bubble wrap versus hey, you just got to let him play? You just got to let him play. You, you can't, I mean, because then you're operating out of fear, right? Luck was a totally different situation. He had zero protection and he was getting massacred in the pocket, right? He was running for his life. There's a big difference. And like, Anthony is he's a running quarterback. That is one of the, the tools that they draft why they drafted him because he can run. So I don't think you can sit there and maybe you don't run him as much, but like when you're in the like within the red zone, that needs to be a threat to change that defense. And that's what he's good at. Now I think with him, he should. Uh, it, to me, it looked like he kind of let up a little bit and kind of thought like, "Oh, nobody's going to hit me." And then he's like, "Oh crap, somebody just hit me," and that happened. Right? I mean, I would just tell him like, "Be prepared." to hit and be hit at all times. Because, um, I mean, that hit, when it wasn't even the hit. It was the hit on the ground. I mean, that's that's what's kind of scary, right? Those hits that make you fall on the ground and whip your neck and hit your head. I, but I don't think you can be play out of fear or even coach out of fear because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? And so just be ready to get hit at all times. Did you ever, Rick, in your playing career, go into concussion protocol? I should have, but I never did. Yeah, I was gonna. So, what is the, what is the protocol? I mean, I know it's even probably different now than when you were playing, which is not. It's not like you were playing in the leather helmet era, but it it is an area that the league is much more conscientious and and safe. But what was? Were there even ways for you as a player? Can the player themselves almost put themselves into the protocol? If that makes sense. Now they can. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know if we even had a protocol, really, um, when I was playing. It was never something like, hey, you can, you need to come out if you have a concussion. I'm sure it was, like, thought of, but, like, it was – and I don't want to use the word. It was code among people to, like, not come out. But, like, it just – you just didn't, you know, unless you were, like, knocked out, down. I mean, my concussions were I got whacked in the head, fell to the ground, didn't know where I was for a little bit. All right, let's keep it moving. But um, – yeah, it, it's tough to see because the guys from when, even when I played are just getting bigger, stronger, and faster. So getting hit is just going to create that much more force onto the neck and head. So, I mean, I'm glad to see that they're having a, a concussion protocol and that they're having, like, medical spotters doing that because most guys, vast majority of guys, you're going to have a concussion and just p- try to play through it. Right? That's just how you're brought up as a football player. Well, you're probably I mean, also good. paranoid, Rick, of, you know, I mean – Peyton Manning wouldn't have right like Peyton Manning wouldn't have thought this Marvin Harrison would have thought it but you know aren't you also constantly to that point right you're worried about look I'm not I don't want to step out because this next guy I may never step on the field again yeah I think that's again goes back to like playing in fear I don't know if that was ever a thought process in the time but yeah looking back at you like you know during the the week you're probably like man I wish I didn't say anything because now I'm not playing anymore um but then again I'm always under the impression of like, if it's your job, go win your job, right? Make it so they can't keep you off the field. Um, so if you come back from concussion protocol, go win your job back. Um, but yeah, I, that's probably a, a very valid point for a lot of guys. Like, I'm not going to tell somebody I have concussion because this is, <laughs> you know, I might have one chance at this. So let's say Rick DeMulling that Jim Mersey called you last night, okay? You're sitting there, you're watching TV, phone rings, you look down, boss man, you, you know, Rick, man, what's going on? It's Jim. And so he says to you that he's worried that the team's going to get too comfortable after a win. So as a former, as a, as a Colt alum, he wants you to come into practice and he wants you to address the three areas 
that you feel like need to be tightened up and the three things that were maybe not of concern in the Houston game, but that you just felt like weren't on all cylinders that they need to clean up? What would those three things be? Good question. Um, Three things. I would say, one, just stay consistent, right? I mean, I would harp the fact, like, listen, everybody's good in this league. Every week you got to go and earn it. You can't sit there and, like, you're never – you're only as good as your next win, and that's the case in this and, like, any professional sports. Um, Taking care of the ball is always number one. I didn't see, like, a lot of issues with that. And really it's more of encouragement instead of, like, tightening things up. Like, get after the quarterback. That was a lot of fun to see, the defense flying around, getting after the quarterback, making plays in the backfield. Um, but really, I don't think it'd be a lot of like, let's tighten things up, even though, you know, I didn't watch the game film too closely. I'm sure there's always things to tighten up there, but like literally just like, hey, guys, on to the next. You, you can't winning that one has nothing to do with this next one. So that's kind of like the only only thing I would go to after. And I would say like, if you know, your game checks are always on the line. If you, if you want to keep uh, playing, keep winning um, and keep getting paid. Do you think Zach Moss, was that the real, like, is that what we're going to see? I, he ran hard, man. I mean, you reminded me yeah. of like Ahmad Bradshaw. Like, he just runs hard on every play. Is that is that true to form you think of who he is, or was that a guy that just was coming off injury and, and wanted to make a statement with all the Taylor conversation? Can we expect that game in and game out? I think yes to both. I'm sure that gave him some, um, hey, I'm, I have potentially a limited time to be the starter here if Jonathan comes back, but he did run hard. And I think that is not just a guys who can do that typically aren't just doing it for one game, right? That seems to be his MO. That seems to be the way that he, he carries himself. So I think it's something we can definitely look forward to in the future. And if we get to keep the offensive line moving the way they are surging forward, then you're going to see more games like that and even more. So last question on the game itself, Rick would be this. And that is, I don't know if I've gotten a chance to ask you this, you might not have had a lot of it when you were playing. Uh, certainly in Indianapolis, I can't speak for you know Kansas City or, or Detroit or, or excuse me, I mean Detroit or you know the other places that you were, Washington. But um, are player holdouts a distraction in a locker room? I mean, when you have a star player who seemingly is a nice guy in Jonathan Taylor, but when he's not around and there's you know all the drama that swirls around it and the you know everybody's talking about it, fans, media, etc. Is that heard within the locker room? I think it is, but then it comes down to the the head coach, right? Where's how is he addressing that? And absolutely, I don't know how you can't take a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who is a game changing running back, and all the drama that's unfolded since he, you know, from this last from the summer. I don't know how it doesn't affect you, but I think at this point in the in the how it's all carried out, it may be more of a nuisance. For the guys, if they're still getting questions about it, if they're still like asking about Jonathan Taylor, it's like, hey, moving on. Like, I may love Jonathan Taylor, but right now he's not playing for us, so let's focus on what we are. So it's probably more of a nuisance than anything else. And if they, I, I can't think it's going to affect how the one, the lineman, or anybody else in that locker room is going to prepare for the next week. How's the hair look, by the way? My man, it is solid. I tell you what, I, I'm i going to get a haircut today, and I'm, I might send a pic and just put it out on social media because I'm not going to lie. Um, we Grow Hair Indy crushed it. Love it. Now, here's the thing. Are you still selling homes? 
I am not. Um, I actually own an insurance agency, so we try to protect those homes. Okay, that, maybe that's what I was thinking of. I was going to say, because if business is tight, like now, if you're pulling your hair out, it doesn't matter because they're able to replace it for you, right? So you're good to go, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I always thought that PAI may have missed out or Regrow Harry missed out. Like, they could have gone to Andrew Luck and said, hey, brother, let's shave <laughs> off and get some of that neck neck beard. And oh, yeah. Put that in people. People would pay a mint for that. So I got Andrew Luck's hair. <laughs> would, you, would you have had bangs that were Andrew Luck's neck beard? Would you have paid for that? Um... I'm not gonna. I don't know if I should even comment on that. No matter what, the the answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is no. I wouldn't. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, Rick. Appreciate the time as always. Look forward to talking to you again, man. All right, you be good. All right, that's Rick DeMolling joining us on the program.